0: Freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith.
1: Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano, is in session.
0: Welcome to Faith on Trial, where we examine the influence of law and society on people of faith. I'm Deacon Mike Mano, your host in our main studio in West Des Moines, and we're joined by Gina Noll, our co host, who is in the State Capitol building in Des Moines. Good morning, Gina. How are you? I'm doing well this Good. morning, Deacon Mike. Good. A little uh, little busy down there.
2: Yes, the legisl- Iowa State Legislature is in session as of Monday. So, um,. Hopefully, we'll do good things here in Iowa for the people of Iowa. Very good. And I'm happy to be uh, of help.
0: Yeah, no, and we have a so good, we have a good, good program. Show today. Right, we have mm-hmm. Alex Schattenberg, executive director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, who's up in Canada, who's going to talk to us about the widespread use of euthanasia in Canada and what effect that may have on some of the states in the United States, and that's going well, to be. You go ahead.
2: Yeah. And I don't know how many um, stories you've seen taken, Mike, but uh, Canada has really expanded their program. So um, some unbelievable ways that they're using uh, euthanasia and assisted suicide on the people of Canada. So I'll be anxious to talk to Alex and find out how this has um, grown in such great proportions.
0: Yeah. And then we're going to visit with uh, Will Tebow from the uh, uh, he's a, a tech policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation. He's going to talk about uh, uh, government and big tech censorship in the United States. And that's going to be another interesting conversation, too. Don't know if we we'll ever talk enough about all of this stuff, but we'll start the conversation anyway.
2: Well, yeah, and it seems like during the um, COVID pandemic, this became a bigger issue. Um, I'll be anxious to see if the Heritage Foundation has really dug in and found um, some ways to prevent it, mm-hmm. uh, to oversee it, and to find some consequences for people who violate, uh, it, people who work for our government, who violate our First Amendment rights.
0: Right, right, right. Well, I think they're digging in whether they'll find any solutions right away or not. Uh, if, well, we'll ask, uh, well, when we get them on. Do you have a prayer to open this up with, Gina?
2: I do. Uh, it's a prayer for peace today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of peace, bring your peace into our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women, and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn to your way of love, those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope, and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among nations and in the hearts of all.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. We're going to take a short break right now. And when we come back, we'll have Alex Schattenberg, Executive Director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. And we're back here listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And with us right now is Alex Schattenberg, who is the Executive Director of the uh, Euthanasia Prevention Coalition up in Canada. And uh, we're going to talk with uh, with Alex about what is going on in Canada and what it's uh, Uh, effects might be in the United States on all of the abortion, not abortion, the uh, euthanasia and physician assistant assistant death in Canada. I I think I got that out all right. My tug is a little uh, tied up this morning, Alex, but uh, you can explain it a lot better than I can.
3: Yeah, so what happened is, and I've been on this show before, uh, but uh, what happened is is Canada legalized euthanasia in 2016. And uh, you have assisted suicide in about 10 states now in the U.S., and I'll get into the difference. But anyway, in 2016, we legalized euthanasia, and uh, they originally had it so that it would only be, well, only, it would be for people who were uh, having a terminal condition. Uh, but then uh, in 2021, in March of 2021, the law was changed to uh, make it more accessible, they would say, sadly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now it's available to people with chronic conditions, to people with, uh, how would you say, irremediable medical conditions who are not terminally ill. So what we've seen with that is a lot of people with disabilities who are living in poverty, people who, uh, who are experiencing homelessness, people who are uh... you know experiencing problems with accessing health care who are now dying by euthanasia so I, I should go right back first and say the difference euthanasia is done by yes someone would request it But a doctor, or in Canada, a nurse practitioner also, would then approve it, and then they would lethally inject them. It's done by lethal injection. In the U.S., it's referred to homicide. Previous to being legalized in Canada, they called it homicide, but now we call it medical aid in dying just to make people feel good about it. Mm -hmm. Assisted suicide is very similar. In assisted suicide, they use the same drugs. Uh, In that case, the doctor would also have to approve it, but the person has to take the drugs themselves. So when we're talking about differences between euthanasia and assisted suicide, meaning that assisted suicide is legal in 10 states in the U.S., whereas euthanasia is legal in Canada, the difference is how it's done, not the concept, not the idea, and not the uh, sad, uh, false reasoning behind it.
0: Okay. Now, it seems to me, uh, and Gina and I have discussed this before, that there is a big push going on in Canada to um, um, encourage more people to take advantage of the euthanasia there. And when we talked uh, last week, you had an interesting story about a woman uh, that was uh, talking about the, the physician that came into her uh, hospital room and suggested that she have uh, the euthanasia.
3: Right, yeah. So what we've had is uh, situations like that where, in fact, what's happening in Canada is that uh, uh... it's they're trying to define it as medical treatment so then the concept is that you should be offered Every form of medical treatment that's available to you, you should, you should at least know that these things exist. So if you have cancer, there might be two different types of treatment for that type of cancer, and you should be told what they are and uh, be able to make a decision as to what you want. Maybe one type of treatment is more, how would you say, invasive than another, et cetera, right? right? But here they're saying, well, medical aid in dying, euthanasia, lethal injection, they're saying this is a form of medical treatment, which, of course, is craziness. It's not a medical treatment at all. It's about killing people. There's nothing treating about it, and it's, it doesn't require any medical uh, training to do it. Uh, nonetheless, the point is, is that so do- a lot of doctors are being told you have to tell people. Who have these medical conditions or have a, a chronic condition that they uh, they be offered this so you get the situation now where people are being offered this and the difficulty is is that they're going through a difficult time of their life they might be going through significant depression they might be uh, going through a situation where they're having difficulty feeling purpose meaning and value in their life and now someone comes in and says oh well there is an easy way out we can give you medical aid in dying which of course is a nice word for killing Uh, We had someone call us. I had a a woman call me uh, about a year and a half ago, and she called me because she was just absolutely shocked because her husband was asking for euthanasia. She just couldn't believe it. She said, you know, we're Christians. Uh, My husband was involved in the pro-life movement as a leader in the 90s. He was really, really, really involved. He's never, ever, ever, ever supported any concept around euthanasia. Now he's asking for euthanasia. She couldn't believe it. He was approaching death. He's asking for euthanasia. She found out that, that a nurse in the middle of the night... He was in a lot of existential angst. He was going through a lot of emotional difficulties. A nurse in the middle of the night said that she had sat with him for a few hours and talked to him and she explained to him and she said, you know, at the end he had agreed that yes, medical aid in dying would be the best thing for him. So, you know, this is the kind of thing you get where someone who would never, ever, ever consider such a concept, suddenly in their weak time of their life, their their human weakness are now asking for this and this is the kind of thing you're seeing.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, it this time in their lives a lot of people are concerned about being a burden to their family and that plays into this too.
3: Absolutely we just received a letter uh, from a, another group that uh, that uh, well actually a pro-life group and this woman has been involved with uh, pro-life in her life she's gone to a lot of the rallies she's gone to the life chains and things like that and she says you know now she's having she's has significant health issues she's uh, losing her eyesight she's got uh, you know has some significant disability but she's alone and she's lonely and she's and no one uh... she says no one reaches out is reaching out to her and she's uh... she says she's embarrassed but she's feeling like she wants to die by MAID, medical aid in dying, euthanasia. You know, this whole thing is is uh, very important because a lot of us would say, well, you know, Mike, this wouldn't affect me. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. This, why, you know, I don't believe in these things. As sad as this is, you know, fortunately this would never affect me. And I say to them, well, wait a second here. We have to be very careful here. People in our own churches... I'm in Canada, people in our own churches are dying by euthanasia, not because uh, they're absolutely terrible people. Well, some of them might actually be people who never really believed in the faith, but for the most part, it's because they're human. They're going through a difficult, difficult time. They're feeling alone. They're feeling lonely. Uh, This is being pushed upon them. And, you know, you may say, well, how could that be? Well, you know, sadly, when you're going through a difficult time of your life, sometimes, you know, through your existential angst, your emotions, your depression, sometimes you're not the same person as you were before. You don't share, you know, it's not that you don't share the same ideas. It's just that you've come to a point where you were wearing blinders. You've come to a deep fog. We know a lot of people go through depression. They go through these situations. I'll, I'll make another comment. We've had, uh, throughout human history, we've always had people experiencing Suicidal ideation. We know lots of people who do, and we should pray for these people. You should spend time with these people. You know, you care about someone by caring about someone, being with that person. You can really make a difference in their life because then they feel purpose, meaning, and value because somebody actually cares about them, right? Someone's willing to share their time and their faith and their energy with them. Uh, but you know, sometimes people fall to the cracks and they're alone.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you have any for these things? Yeah. Do you have any statistics on the on the numbers or percentages of people who accept them? Uh, a physician assistant or the uh, uh, euthanasia. The numbers have top.
3: gone crazy in Canada. Yeah, it's gone crazy. Now it's it's not that it's uh, not a problem in the U.S. So for instance, in in the state of Oregon, you've had assisted suicide now since uh, the late '90s. So I'm sorry, even yeah, for a very yeah, since the late '90s, and it was legalized in Washington State in 2009. So you've had assisted suicide going on in several states for quite a long time. But in Canada, the numbers have gone absolutely through the roof. So the latest data came out of Quebec uh quebec is a is a pretty large province you know there's quite a few people living there, and the number of euthanasia deaths in the last year alone went up by fifty one percent and over over five percent of those who died in that last year died by euthanasia. So that's a pretty significant number and if we're looking at uh, the rest of Canada, we don't have stats data from 2022 yet, but the 2021 data show that there was over uh, 10,700 deaths by euthanasia in that year. And if you consider the numbers and the percentages of deaths is actually really going crazy. But even worse, worse than that is the fact that not only are we the increasing number of deaths, it's the increasing reasons for being killed by euthanasia. You know, we have a lot of people now as I say, people who are going through disabilities, etc., uh, who are experiencing homelessness and poverty, maybe people who also are are having other issues. So here's the thing that that's, that should even concern even more. In Canada, we're talking about now euthanasia for mature minors, so children. We're talking about euthanasia for people. Uh, we actually approved it, euthanasia for people with mental illness, but our government has just backed up a bit and said, well, we're going to hold off on that for a little while. They didn't say, we're not going to do it. They just said, we're going to hold off on that for a little while. So now they're, they're saying, you, you have to wait. We're going to put together a set of protocols. You know, they're getting a bit worried that uh, the number of deaths and the types of deaths is, is going through the roof. Uh, maybe that won't work out so well for them, you know. Uh, the point of it is is that, uh, you know, these are the kind of things where it's going. I always tell people that the problem with the culture of death is it's, It it has a type of, uh, you know, growth factor to it. Because once you start killing people, and you start killing people for different reasons, it takes away that taboo of killing. Well, abortion did that
0: as well, yes.
3: Yeah. Alex,
2: the reason we're um, meeting with you today is because uh, we've seen a lot of these stories where the mature minors or people suffering from depression all qualify for... um, euthanasia or assisted suicide in Canada. It makes me wonder, with their socialized medicine system, how much of this is driven by cost? You know, the cost of treatment is so high. Um, are the uh, legislators or the policies being driven by uh, cost that has raised those numbers of um, people who choose this option?
3: Well, you know, the other side doesn't talk about cost, but just for your information, uh I said that we expanded the euthanasia law in March of of uh, 2021. Uh, it was a, a bill called Bill C-7, so they took away the terminal illness requirement. They took away the waiting period. Someone can die. They can request euthanasia, and if they're deemed to be terminally ill, they can die the same day, so your bad day becomes your last day. Uh, so what happened is, is the government did have the auditor look at the cost of medical care and medical treatment, and they put out a report about about the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that are being saved by euthanasia in Canada, but in fact, the data was even short, meaning that it, it underestimated the costs. Um, why am I saying that? Well, consider the fact that the number of these people with disabilities who are who are not terminally ill at all but they're experiencing poverty, they're experiencing homelessness, they're experiencing difficulties accessing medical treatment, whether that be treatment for their condition or treatment for their symptoms, and they're saying, I can't live like this anymore. Um, You know, those people could very well have lived another 30, 40 years or more, who knows, right? So if you're talking about cost savings, sadly, it's a huge number, Um, but you know, the biggest thing here is, is this whole eugenic philosophy. We've decided, and I say eugenic, like literally this is what it's coming down to. People are agreeing that certain lives are not worth living. Someone might say, I can't live like this anymore. Well, that's a call for help. Uh, you know, Typically in a, how would you say, a caring society, you would recognize that there's a need for intervention in those cases, and instead what we're doing is we're killing these people. That, to me, is eugenic. We're deciding that uh, those lives are not worth living. Were willing to eliminate them uh, based on their uh, weakness rather than care for them
0: in Canada how is the church fighting back
3: well the church is involved in the issue but I think uh, the difficulty is is that uh, uh, when the uh, bill was or in the legislation was originally being uh, debated in 2015 2016 uh, quite a few of the churches were heavily involved in the issue but then after it legalizes, it seems that, sadly, too much silence becomes the norm, and so it's not for me to judge. But uh, what happens is, uh, it's not only becoming normalized in society, and that's why you see these numbers of deaths and these types of deaths, and the demand for, you know, more and more and more deaths. But you also then see a silence, more so within the church community and a lot of them just don't know how to react because it's a very difficult situation uh... the other thing is the imposing of euthanasia that's going on so for instance you might have heard about groups like the delta hospice society the delta hospice society was a hospice group that wasn't willing to participate they said no we're not going to do euthanasia it's not that uh... all hospice groups i wish all hospice groups were saying that i wish it's, it's not like that uh... but nonetheless they were saying we will not and so the government defunded them and took away their hospice building. They expropriated it and took it all away. And so, what they did is uh, they put—they're saying that all medical institutions must participate, and they're also forcing Catholic medical institutions to send patients then to the non-Catholic medical institutions when someone's asking for euthanasia. So you're getting this type of uh, uh, agreement, which is saying, "Well, we won't participate in the act, but we will, in a sense." participate in the act but we won't participate in the act so you're getting this whole so, normalization and fear and the government's coming down pretty hard on these things so you know you're getting as i say a lot of fear and silence and to me the silence never helps us mm-hmm. I, I you know um i can see it's not pleasant to talk about these things i don't enjoy talking about it myself but nonetheless the fact of it is is silence never saved any life that's
0: yeah, there and we have to do it genie you had something oh i do i
2: Alex, um, we, we haven't talked much yet about uh, the 10 states um, that have legalized assisted suicide. And I know when we talked to you uh, many years ago, I believe it was only two states. So do you see this trend continuing in the United States?
3: Well, last year in the U.S. was a good year, uh, in, in, a, in a major sense, because no new state legalized assisted suicide in 2022. And there was a lot of pressure in 2022 in several states. In fact, Connecticut, uh, that bill in Connecticut was defeated by only one vote. And this is the kind of thing, there were several states where there were bills that were progressing, and then somehow uh, they didn't have the vote, so it was put aside. So 2022 was a very good year. Uh, but there was sad things that happened in 2022. For instance, in Oregon, the state of Oregon, where they've had assisted suicide for the longest in the U.S., the state removed their residency requirement. So that means that – I, and I don't like talking about it because it means anybody in the U.S. can go to Oregon and die by assisted suicide. That's what it means. Uh, so therefore, as much as Iowa has no intention of legalizing assisted suicide at this moment – Sadly, people in Iowa could die by assisted suicide by going to Oregon. These are the kind of developments that are going on. But there's been so many victories in the U.S. because uh, there was a court case to try and uh, legalize euthanasia in California, and in December that court case was uh, struck down. So, you know, the case was dismissed, right? Uh, there was an attempt to make uh, uh, assisted suicide legal in Massachusetts to the court, and the Supreme Court of Massachusetts said no. It said there's no right to assisted suicide. So as bad as things are, there's much great news, but as I say, silence isn't our friend. Uh, we must speak out. We must help make people aware. We must say to people, no. And we must be honest and straightforward about what this is. This is about killing people. A lot of people don't want to say that because they feel that's uh, judgmental or that's pushy or that's difficult. No, this is about killing people. And I don't think we should ever be involved with killing people.
0: Yeah, it appears that uh, the general population is not concerned about this at all or is just... Uh burying their head in the sands over it.
3: Well, the other factor is is similar to other issues, where once, uh, once it begins, then family members start doing this, etc. You also get the factor of uh, certain communities really buying into it. So um, a few months ago, there was a woman in a, in a United Church, so the United Church is more of a liberal denomination nonetheless, in a United Church in Winnipeg, who decided she wanted to die in the church. So the doctor came to the church and injected her in the church with all her friends around her, and she died, therefore, in the church. Um, you know, um, you know, it just gets to be a bit much for me when I start hearing these things, because you're talking about killing someone, homicide, murder, and doing it in a church, yeah. and, and having the church community say, Isn't this wonderful, she died this way, it's such a peaceful death? Um, hmm. Um, I don't want anybody to suffer. Don't get me wrong. I have no interest in you suffering, but I don't think we should ever be killing people.
0: Right, yeah. And uh, I've uh, heard stories of uh, Catholics asking for the, uh, doing their last confession and asking for uh, the last rites before they uh, commit suicide.
3: Well, the fact of it is, is that, and and, and I actually, I'm going to challenge your language, because it's not about committing suicide per se. It is about homicide. And in the case of assisted suicide, it is about a doctor who's been involved in saying that, yes, your life is not worth living. I will give you lethal drugs. Uh, So it's a little bit different than a a suicide which tends to be someone who's got mental illness or or has such existential angst that there's questionable issues here. These are people who are clearly asking for it. But yes, you get the situation where they call for the priest before they get their lethal injection. And uh, to me, uh, this is very sad because, of course, the only thing the priest in that case can actually do is say, um, uh, no, you can't go ahead and do that. Uh, I can't be involved with absolving you of your sins as you're ready to be involved with what we would call a mortal sin.
0: Well, I'll, I'll I'll note the difference there because I think it is important, and uh, uh, we ought to keep the uh, the language uh, uh, pretty much constant so that people know what we're talking about. Alex, I think we're, looks like we're just about out of time right now, so I want to thank you for joining us. Your website, I think, is what epcc.ca.
3: Correct, Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, is epcc.ca. My blog is the world's most uh, how would you say? Informative site on these issues in the world. There's never, there's no other place in the world where you can go to receive the amount of information and updates as as on my blog. Easy to find at my website or just Google uh, Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. It all comes up. And thank you, Mike, for your time. Certainly. Um, you know, I would rather throw you, you know, some sugar and and butter and nice things to talk about. But sadly, this is a reality.
0: Yeah, that's right, and that's what we have to deal with, and that's what this program t- tries to do. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. Um, good luck with what you are doing, and may God bless you in your work.
3: And thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Alex Schattenberg, who is Executive Director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. <laughs> and we're back, you're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Uh, we have uh, Will Tebow with us, who is a tech policy analyst for the Heritage Foundation. Uh, And um, you are involved, uh, Will, in uh, um, dealing with government collusion with big tech and censorship in America. That's a big topic. It encompasses a lot of things. But if you can give us the uh, kind of the elevator trip version of what it is that uh, the Heritage Foundation is looking into.
1: The Heritage Foundation was, I think, uh, ahead of the curve, Deacon Mike, uh, in February of 2022, my boss Kara Frederick wrote a paper called "Combating Big Tech's Totalitarianism," and she really laid out the evidence for uh, Big Tech's collusion with the liberal uh, federal government that has seemed to inhabit inhabited D.C. for the last forty or fifty years, regardless of the administration. And uh, she called out the the seamless switching of talent between administrations and and Silicon Valley tech companies, uh, the explicit and implicit. Uh, cooperation to censor conservative voices on these platforms, and you know she was proven prescient, and, and Heritage has been proven prescient when Twitter uh, and Elon Musk started releasing the Twitter files in December. Um, the the Twitter files made kind of what we all knew to be true impossible to deny that the government has formal and informal mechanisms of directing uh, Twitter and, I, frankly, I think likely Google and Facebook to deplatform conservatives in the advance of a certain agenda that is, frankly, uh, counter to conservative and, and Catholic uh, beliefs and I, th- I think should cause you and me and, and your listeners to really question what the future can look like with this apparatus still in place.
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, it's important to know that uh, two things here as we, as we start off. Uh, the Heritage Foundation has been on the ground floor of a lot of things that are going on right now uh, to warn us about what is happening. And we, that's why we have so many people from the Heritage Foundation as guests in our program. And uh, the other thing that we're concerned about, of course, be a couple other things I want to talk about. Well, one of the things we're concerned about, of course, is when there's censorship, uh, there's uh, no free speech. And when there's no free speech, there's no evangelization. And so that cuts right into the heart of what we are supposed to do as uh, evangelists, all of us as Christians, um, that uh, we're getting shut down. And we saw a lot of that happen uh, involving uh, COVID uh, lockdowns and COVID restrictions. Um, Did you find anything special out about what was happening with uh, uh, the COVID restrictions and the church and things like that?
1: Of course. Uh, I think the most recent Twitter files are illustrative here. A reporter called Alex Berenson discussed how Gottlieb, who's been on television a lot the last three years, uh, directly asked Twitter to censor voices who were, uh, I think, frankly speaking facts about the COVID pandemic, both the origins of the virus. The nature and the the negative consequences of the lockdowns, uh, as well as the uh, the efficacy and the potential risk factors of the vaccine. What was interesting about Scott Gottlieb doing that is he was a former commissioner of the FDA, but working as a board member of none other than Pfizer. Mm-hmm. So his conflict of interest, his profit motive, was clear and. Uh, You know, those those three aspects, though not all-encompassing, of the COVID pandemic were hot-button issues that affected how people lived their lives. And, you know, to to me as a Catholic, there was nothing that struck at the heart of our faith more than those initial restrictions, where we were told not to receive the body of Christ because of a, a, a supposed risk that was uniform across the board for anyone of all age groups. We were told not to receive the bread of life because of this virus, that, that we were told you know, by the quote-unquote authorities uh, was a risk to us all. And that's, that's a problematic, as yeah. you know better than me. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's also exactly that. It's not just a question of free speech, but uh, we don't live in a world where the truth can flourish on these massive Internet platforms.
0: Yeah, I want to talk, as long as you brought it up, the medical aspect of it. Um, it seems to me that a lot of people have put or were put into a medical jeopardy by following um, uh, COVID restrictions or, or uh, not being able to view other COVID uh, materials like the, um, well, just for example, with the, um, with the vaccines, you have the myocarditis. Uh, that is um, affecting a lot of uh, young men around the world, uh, that, that any discussion of that was shut down. Any discussion of any of the uh, uh, preventatives or any of the uh, 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 drugs that could be used to help uh, get over COVID was all shut down. You couldn't talk about those things. You got, uh, you got canceled.
1: You're right. And, you know, I'm no medical expert, uh, but but like everyone, I lived through this. I raised kids through this, and and, and I could tell what the reality was about getting COVID. And to me, it was never something that justified shutting down the entire country uh, to remove the possibility of personal, physical relationships and communion, (laughs) as in all the senses that we know it. Uh, like I already said. But, you know, I'll go back to the to the Internet. The Internet I was supposed to cut against this. I, I think 20 years ago, the Internet was supposed to be a democratizing source uh, of information where you could seek truth outside of the power centers who wanted to purvey a certain uh, regime narrative. But we, we realized, and I think we're still starting to realize, that during the pandemic, the, the Internet had completed its transition to a tool of centralized control. And that, that's something to which we need to adjust as, as Catholics, as Americans, to really think about what the future of the Internet looks like if people like us have a future in America, much less on the Internet itself.
0: Gina, do you have a question? Gina, uh, our co-host, Gina, is at the Capitol building. Gina? Um,
1: Yes, uh,
2: well, so a lot of these violations are um, made by unelected bureaucrats. It reminds me quite a bit of when the IRS was, um, in some sense, censoring or disqualifying um, nonprofits that were conservative or faith-based way back when. But you find that the legislators have a sort of a whack-a-mole task when these things bear their heads. They attack them one at a time and try to eliminate them. But it doesn't seem like there's very um, strong consequences for individuals who violate uh, our First Amendment rights as um, bureaucrats or members of our government. How can our elected officials um, address this uh, by the people who work for us?
1: To me, that's, this is something that should be an easy bipartisan solution. Uh, I think Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and liberals can agree that the government should not suppress speech. And the, the Twitter files, revolution, uh, you know, revelations that I mentioned are a clear indication of the government using a private, comp- a supposedly private company to, to do just that. that. To me, that's clearly illegal. But what I want to – I want to actually turn the the conversation to the private citizens working at these tech companies like Twitter and Google and to put some scrutiny on those people who, although there was direct government collusion, often didn't need any orders to suppress conservative voices. You know, whether it's Google suppressing an anti-abortion group like Live Action. Uh, and and taking down YouTube videos when they tell the truth about abortion. You know, I'm frankly, I don't think the government necessarily directed that. But it is these employees who have a certain worldview, uh, working at companies that, you know, basically are are formed and and founded in a few square miles of each other in California, uh, acting to define the information flow uh, for our country. And that's that's really problematic. And it's one thing Heritage has talked about that when there are violations of law, when it comes to data privacy or information suppression, It's we can't just fine these companies even tens of millions of dollars. That's a drop in the bucket. We need to hold corporate office holders accountable for these actions that are so contrary to our Republic and, and and there are other laws that we need to pass so we can then hold them accountable um, but but let's let's start there is to actually hold people accountable for infringing on the the discourse of other Americans
0: yeah that's one of the things that my wife always mentions to me is what's happening to these people <laughs> everybody seems to be getting away with what they're doing
1: you're, you're right Um There's an example in uh, Denmark where, uh, you know, Denmark doesn't allow Google to transfer the data from children's Google laptops in schools Mm -hmm. to servers in America. Reasonable request as far as I'm concerned. Well, sure enough, they found out that Google was taking the data from children in schools and sending that data for monetization to servers in America. I think Google was fined 50 million dollars which is, is some revenue that they can make up in a few days, almost literally. Yeah, somebody uh, should have that's, gone to jail that's for that. not enough to change behavior.
0: Yeah, somebody should have gone to jail for that. Um, you know, we I talk agree. about censorship, but there's a, a, an interesting way that apparently China is trying to uh, take information from uh, individuals uh, through TikTok.
1: Right. TikTok. Well, you know. Go ahead. Yeah, TikTok is is problematic. Um, It is, you know, just for for your your listeners who don't know, TikTok is an app that is in America that's owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance. Chinese law, though, allows the Chinese government to access the data of Chinese Internet companies, of which ByteDance is one. Uh, And so... In essence, we have a, a Chinese Communist Party propaganda and espionage app on tens of millions of American smartphones. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the Chinese government, therefore, is able to collect information on nearly every thumb tap of those users of TikTok. Uh, they're able to track their location. They're able to track their search history. And that that can become very problematic. What, yeah. what I what I think is the scariest part is what information, especially kids, see when they're on TikTok, uh, you know, about uh, lies, about homosexuality and and uh, transgenderism, the, trans- the whole thing. Yeah, trans- exactly. Transgenderism. I mean, this is, you know, studies have been done to show that TikTok puts their thumb on the scale to ensure kids are fed that kind of information. Yeah. Um, So I think our government needs to do a lot. You know, at Heritage, we think that the government should not allow or should not allow TikTok uh, to exist on Americans' phones, both from a national security and a cultural perspective.
0: Now, if people want to find out more about what the Heritage is is doing uh, and your group in particular is doing, they can go to the website. It's heritage.org?
1: Yes, heritage.org. You can uh, look at our big tech section where we're, uh, working really hard to i think co- have that conversation about what technology looks like uh in America uh into the 21st uh century. Very um, good.
0: We're so running that's,
1: that's where we're we're going to put stuff out.
0: Good. We're running uh a little short of time right now, so we're going to have to let you go. We certainly appreciate you joining us and again, we'd refer to people to uh, heritage.org for more information and you can you can be a become a member of the Heritage Foundation for a few bucks and help them out with uh, with their budget a little bit uh thank you very much well for joining us today we certainly appreciate it god bless you in your work and uh, we will talk to you uh, i'm sure another time about
1: all of this god bless i hope so thank you deacon mike god bless you certainly
0: we're back we're listening to faith on trial and i catholic radio Gina, interesting program today as usual
2: that's very true. Uh, I, I don't know how Alex uh, Schottenberg from the uh, euthanasia prevention does his job. Like you said, it's very difficult to talk about, but important to bring light on um, the growth of um, euthanasia and assisted suicide in Canada and also here in the United States.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a scary proposition. And um, uh, I think what he was referencing uh, when he talked about uh uh, you know, silence is the enemy. You know, this is how the devil promotes what he's doing with people, you know. Uh, it's kind of undercover, you know. It's uh, our little secret. We'll do this. We'll do that. And if people knew what was going on, they'd be horrified. And yet uh, they expand and expand and expand until... Uh, there's nobody left to be horrified, and that, I think, it was his point that we're getting... To- and I think it's
2: it's probably very hard for people to understand that this um, can happen until it happens to them, and they see how easily, and um, like the slippery slope, and the story Alex shared of the woman whose husband was a, a true pro- pro-life warrior and allowed himself to fall into the trap of... Um, uh, agreeing to assisted
0: suicide. Right. Yeah, and uh, and that's the way it happens, and uh, and and it's a shame. That's of course that's the way abortion expand, same sex marriage expand, all these other things. People just didn't talk about it a lot, and then of course there has to be people that are will stand up and tell the truth about these things too. And fortunately, that is what Alex is doing, and of course uh, by extension we're doing it too by putting uh, giving him some airtime. Um, right. And um, uh, Will was interesting. It's kind of interesting what what the Heritage Foundation is doing is they're d- digging into this big tech censorship thing. And um, as they're digging into it, I think they're finding more and more. And, of course, we see a lot of that coming out with the uh, uh, the Twitter uh, papers that are that are coming out now and uh, uh, about what's going on, whether they'll come up with a solution or not. Uh, a lot of that will have to do with our political figures and whether they're going to get behind this or not.
2: Right, because um, these organizations and the individuals involved are are pretty much protected from liability um, of any consequences for their decisions and behaviors of limiting speech.
0: Yeah, I think like we talked about with, uh, with Will, until uh, people are punished and made to feel the... Uh, effect of what they have done to the community, uh, nothing is going to happen because, as he points out, these companies we're dealing with are 1000000000 dollars a day companies, and they can afford mm-hmm. these humongous fines. You say, we're going to f- fine you $5 million, that's dropping a bucket to them.
2: Right. Well, I hope today when we do our closing prayer, we keep in mind all of those who struggle with um, suffering and uh, have... have um, suffered the consequences at the hands of doctors who have agreed to assisted suicide and the families left behind because of those decisions.
0: Yeah, yeah, Uh, I hope so too. And speaking of our closing prayer, it's probably about time that we do that right now. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl Prow about the world seeking the ruin of souls amen thank you all for listening today and on behalf of gene and myself have a blessed and peaceful peace. our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society faith on trial with defender of the faith deacon mike manno faith on trial on iowa catholic radio iowacatholicradio.com, and the iowa catholic radio app